Our last session together, we began to uh, examine a problem that uh, is uh, very familiar to us, and that's the problem of discernment. And that's discerning whether something is right or something is wrong. And the way that we define what's right is according to what God says, because we all have our own standards as far as what we believe right and wrong is. And you can believe something is right, and I can believe that what you believe is right is wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And so the problem that we have is we have the ultimate tiebreaker, and that is we just go to the Bible, and this is what God says is right, this is what God says is wrong. And it eliminates a lot of problems, because a lot of us think things are wrong what kind of magnitude this problem could, uh, could be in the lives of each one of us. But I had a friend, and I told you, who left his wife. And um, he's got two kids, and his wife is uh, nine weeks pregnant, and left her to go and spend some time with his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, and just things like this really just get to you after a while, you know, especially when it's someone who's close to you. He, I know the guy knows the Lord. And on top of it, the gal that he's now spending some time with is a Christian. Spending time with, screwing around with. I mean, let's just say it the way it is, spending time with, you know. It's not like they're walking the malls together or anything. <laughs> you know, and, and, that's, and that's what he's doing. And, um, and so he says, oh, and this is the thing that just drives me crazy, but she's a Christian, he's a Christian, and it's Okay. And so the, when I found out that he told me the gal was a Christian, another friend of ours said, well, I'm going to call her. I said, that's great, call her. So he said he was sitting on, he called me, and he said, he, he goes, and this guy's a big guy. And he said he was sitting on the edge of his bed, and his, he said, no, I'm sitting there like this. My knees are shaking, my elbows are shaking, the phone is shaking, and I dialed this gal's phone number because the guy was stupid enough to call his girlfriend from his house. So he had the phone number, so I called the girlfriend. And says, I, yeah, I'd just like to you know, talk to you for a minute. You don't know me. I'm so-and-so. I'm a friend of so-and-so. And uh, I just want to let you know what's going on. I want to let you know the kind of problems that you're causing by being involved in this situation and to let you know that since you're a Christian, and I assume according to what I heard that you are, that what you're doing is wrong. And then she said, well, you know, I talked to my parents, and they're Christians. I talked to my pastor. And he's a Christian. And every indication that they get is this is okay. There's one other guy who does the same type of thing that I do back in Minnesota with another football team. And, uh, and she said, well, did you talk to so-and-so? And she said, well, yeah, we talked to them. So well, what did they say? I said, well, they said that it's wrong. But, but you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, two out of three say it's right. You know how it is? We're like that. Our whole society is like that. You know, if you can get enough people to get in your corner, then you start to believe anything you want to do is okay. And so this is the kind of stuff that goes on on a regular basis, and it just is real frustrating because how can, how can we in confidence say to someone who's in that situation, that is wrong. It's wrong. Not because I think it's wrong, not because I feel it should be wrong, not because it would hurt me if my wife did that to me, not because da 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 but because God says it's wrong. It's wrong. I was watching 2020 the other night. Do you watch that? Do you see the, the near-death experience? It's like you watch stuff like this and you go, that's nuts. But I don't know why it's nuts. But I need to figure it out and I need to find out because it's something that you hear a lot about. And so you go through it and it's like, God, I want to know why it's wrong and where it's wrong and I need to find out and figure it all out because that's a real issue. But some of us are just too lazy. It's like, gee, that sounds weird, but hey, I'm too busy, you know. 
And, and so we got to wrestle with that. So what we're going to do is, you know, the questions that we need is how can you effectively challenge somebody who is doing something that is wrong and yet be able to show them where it's wrong to make it objective from the standpoint that, you know what, I'm not casting judgment on you because it's God's, God's the judge and it's his job to judge you for what you're doing. All that I'm to do is, as, a, as, a, as another believer, is to hold you accountable and us to each other, hold each other accountable to the truth of the word of God so that whenever we're confronted with things like this, we can turn to it and look at it and let God be the judge of whether something's right or wrong and it's not because it bothers me that you're doing it, but it does. Frankly, it's disgusting, and, I, and, and, I, you know, and it hurts to see this all going on, but not because it's any skin off my nose, but because from what God says, it's going to ruin your life. Not to mention your testimony before other people. So let's just talk, take a look at it. Our problem is we get real judgmental and we get sensitive as if someone who is sinning against God is somehow offending you and I. Let's put it back to where it belongs, and that is that anybody who offends God offends God, and it doesn't matter whether they offend you and I because we're not their judge anyway. So keep it as objective as possible. So what John does in 1 John chapter 4, you got your Bibles turned to it, is that he helps us to understand what principles we need to apply to test to see whether something is right or something is wrong. And one of the things that I want to encourage you to understand and and try to get this very clear. (laughs) See, the Bible is God's standards in general for the world that we live in. His principles are true for all. But specifically, the Bible is written and His standards are geared to God's people. You follow what I'm saying? And it still amazes me how many people get confused about the fact that, you know, if someone's not a Christian, why they do non-Christian things. It's like, cut me a break, okay? They sin because they're sinners, according to the Bible, and that's their lifestyle, and that's what they're supposed to do. And what amazes me more is when people live, quote, a good moral life and aren't Christians. That's more amazing to me. So as we go through this, understand that the Bible is written for God's people. It's His standards for our behavior, You follow what I'm saying? They're his promises for his children. And yet at the same time, there's a loving message in here that will introduce anyone who would receive him to come into that relationship. So now that this book applies to them. And so we need to understand that this warning in 1 John is for Christians. And so when this gal said she was a Christian, she automatically put herself into the accountability that we can go to and say, okay, as a Christian, then you're responsible and accountable to the word of God. And this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. I know he says it because it's right here. And let me give you some passages. Let me read them to you. Let me go through it with you. Let me explain it to you. Do you have any problems with it? Okay, well, let's go down through it and try to understand it, all right? So we go through this, and what John's saying in 1 John 4 is he's talking to Christians. He's saying, hey, listen, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. 
He who is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And the underlying principle that he lays out in this particular passage is that we are to test the spirits. Test the spirits to see whether they're true or whether they're false. We went into great detail last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'll give you a quick overview. But what he's saying is that we need to test the spirit. And the way that we do that, there are going to be four ways that are done according to this passage. The first one is we do it by refusing to accept human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth. Refuse to accept human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth. And isn't it amazing how this would apply in this particular situation? So someone who is in the midst of adultery goes to someone who claims to be a Christian or a counselor who says to them, it's okay for whatever number of reasons, and there's a million of them according to the world, and that's why it says here, they are from the world, they speak as from the world. They have a worldly perspective of that type of situation. It's okay. Why is it okay? She wasn't meeting your needs. He wasn't meeting your needs. They weren't meeting, it wasn't, it wasn't working out. You tried, you tried, you tried, it wasn't working out, so now it's time that you do something for yourself. See, that's a worldly philosophy, and they speak from the world because they are of the world. And that's the kind of counseling that sometimes goes on in the world. It's okay. He had an affair. You know what you need to do? You need to have an affair so that you get even and it balances it out. That way you don't have to deal with it. That's the kind of garbage that's going on all over the place. And so what he's saying is think about this for a moment. How do you test the spirit? You test it by refusing to accept human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth. So when I go to someone who gives me, quote, counsel, and they say to me, hey, this is what you need to do, and I go, well, wait a minute. I don't care who you are and how many degrees you have, because the more degrees you have, obviously it's making you more stupid than you were before you even started out in this process. And so you start to believe your own press clippings. Man, I talk to people who have this degree and that degree and this PhD, and there's nothing wrong with education. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that's all be stupid. But the thing is that some people are coming that more stupid at the end of spending $30,000. And that's even dumber. And if I'm going to be dumb, I'll save the 30000 right? And I'll invest it in something. Not real estate, but I don't know what now. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, gee whiz. You know, and it's amazing to me. And so I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how long you've been in the ministry. I don't care how big the church is that you have. I don't care any of those things. I'm not going to accept human authority is the basis for determining spiritual truth you tell me why what i'm doing is wrong according to the bible there's an idea for you let's test the scripture and that's exactly the standard that we're to apply that's why in acts 17 11, god not only commands us to test what we're being told by human beings he commends those who do you follow that We are commanded to test what we're heard according to Scripture and then we are commended for doing it and not being so lazy that we just believe anything that someone tells us. And he says, don't believe everything because not everybody's going to tell you the truth. Gee, and that's not a shock to me, but you'd be amazed at how many people believe everything that they hear. You follow what I'm saying? It's amazing. So in Acts 17, 11, it says, The Bereans were more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scripture every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. What is the standard they applied? Now, last week I got into the fact that we are to not believe every person, regardless of who it is that's telling us, and regardless of what position they have here on earth, don't believe everything they say, but we're to examine what? Yeah, see, what's the standard that we're to apply to those who are teaching? The Bible. What standard do we usually apply? 
presence, deliverance, charisma, skin color, degrees. I mean, that's the kind of standards we usually apply. Oh, I'm not going to go hear him speak because he's really monotone. You know, he's pretty dry. And I kind of go, so what? What's the content of the message? Is it from God or not? Boy, you know what? And I hear this all the time because I, I remember hearing about Al Fox all the time. You hear people come out, well, you know, he's really kind of monotone. Well, you know, he's really kind of boring. You don't really like to listen to him. I say, well, what about the content? Oh, man, good biblical content, man. It is solid. Every time I came out of there, I learned something more about God, and he challenged me in my walk with Christ. <laughs> well, gee, that's too bad. He's, he's boring, but, you know, uh, well, how, do you, how, do you, how do you evaluate a speaker? Not a, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I know I believe that I have a responsibility to make sure that the content of what I say is the most important thing on my mind and that that's what God wants me to do. I believe that. I believe it's also good to try to keep people awake. I believe, you know, humor is okay to throw out there and it's okay to illustrate certain things. But you know what I found? I found that there's a whole other end of the spectrum where people just fill the time with humor and illustrations and funny things and don't give you any content and you walk away like Ecclesiastes 2 says and says, what profit is there in, in laughter? And he goes, it's all vanity to me. I can go out of here. And some of you remember, the only thing you remember is the joke I tell. So I get to the point of saying, man, I better stop telling jokes because I don't want to be accountable to God that the only thing people remember is a joke or a story. But on the other hand, I also know that it's important to weave that into the messages that God's trying to get across because we're all lazy and we want to be entertained to some degree. So it's a real struggle for me of knowing how to do this and do it right before God. And 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 all that I throw back to you is that I have the same responsibility as you do, and that is regardless of who I hear speak, I have got to measure the content of what is said versus the Word of God, and I've got to lay aside all the external things that I could get hung up on and looked exactly to what they're saying. See, and that's what the eagerness is. He said they, they, they received the message with eagerness, and they examined it, and they examined it every day. They didn't just examine it on Sunday after they leave and go, man, I wonder if that was right, I'll check it out. They examined Scripture every day. And to that, I'd say that most of us would be put to shame. Because I do not believe that we have a culture of people today who examine the Scripture every day. And the way you know it is, people leave their Bible on the seats or whatever, and they don't miss it until they come in, and it's exactly where they left it the week before. You know, and that's kind of a giveaway to me. I don't know about you, but uh, it's a little bit of a hint there. You know what I mean? And so the challenges I go through this is, if you want to test the spirits, we have got to have a habit or responsibility of being very familiar with this book. If they examined it every day, how much less should we examine it? If God commended them for their eagerness, how much more would He... And how much would he also commend us to be just as eager to examine whether things that we hear are true or false? When I'm in a situation and I hear somebody say, this is what they're doing, the first thing that I need to do is I need to turn right to the Word of God. And what does the Bible say? I need to examine it on that particular issue so that if I do say something, that God doesn't hold me accountable for my opinions or being stupid, but go back through and say, well, you know what? This is what the Bible says. This is what I'd suggest that you read. You study it, and then you tell me what you think God's saying and then I'll be glad to talk to you about it some more. I'm so tired of people just throwing out their opinions casually and just leading people uh, down wrong roads. And so as we go through this, that's what we need to do. We need to test the spirits, and we do so by 
not believing or accepting human authority as a basis for all spiritual truth. It's just impossible to do it. You'll be in big trouble if you do. And the reason for it, he explains it. He says it because there's many false prophets who have gone into the world. There are many false teachers. There's a lot of garbage that are out there that's just not of God. There are a lot of voices in this world who are saying a lot of things that are all contrary to the Word of God. We need to know what God says and stop worrying about what everybody else says. And that brings me to the second point. And that is very simply that we need to, the way that we test the Spirit is by reviewing, reviewing all beliefs in terms of the person of Christ. Review all beliefs in terms of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where we get into some really practical stuff. 1 John 4, 2 and 3, he says this. This is how... Now, it's amazing to me sometimes how clear the Bible can be, but this is what it says. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. So somebody says, well, how can you recognize the Spirit of God? It's like, you know, and the will of God is this. It's like people struggle. Well, what's the will of God? Well, the will of God is this. That's what it says right there, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Why don't you read it? Okay, well, that's what it says, so you don't have to struggle with it anymore. They, God even gives you the intro and the question that you're asking. He says, well, how can I recognize the Spirit of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. All right? Okay, how can you recognize the Spirit of God? How do you recognize the Spirit of God? You know, it's interesting too. I think that it's important that we note that just because we may disagree with someone in an area of theology, this is really important, listen to me. Just because you and I disagree with someone in the area of theology, okay, that doesn't automatically put them into the camp of a false teacher or a false prophet. Just because you and I have a disagreement doesn't automatically, thank God, put me in the position of being a false teacher or a false prophet. There is room in Scripture for differences of opinion in certain matters that are peripheral issues. You follow what I'm saying? But there is no room for any differences on the fundamental fact of the Christian faith, and that is the identity and the work of Jesus Christ. When we disagree on who Jesus is, then that automatically puts one of us in the category of a false teacher or a false prophet. Do you follow this? That automatically puts that person into the category of being deceitful, a deceitful worker, one who is preaching error, one who is not preaching the truth. All right? need to understand that. So we go through it, and here's basically two things that are involved. Look what it says. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. All right? Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There is a confession that's involved. The confession is to agree not just that Jesus is God in human flesh, but it's to acknowledge or agree that Jesus is the eternal God, see what it says, who has come in the flesh, meaning that he has a pre-existence prior to his arrival as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus existed through all eternity. 
So what the Bible is saying is that for you and I, we must confess, which means to agree with what the Bible says, to agree with what Jesus says, and also to believe on Him. We must agree with God that Jesus Christ is the eternal God, Jehovah God, who pre-existed prior to His arrival as, as a, quote, in the person of Jesus Christ, Prior to his arrival here on earth, he existed through all of eternity, and he is the eternal God. That is the confession that must be made. Do you follow that? Now you say, well, is that really what the Bible teaches? Well, let's take a look at some things. Turn to John chapter 1. And so it becomes a matter of a personal issue. And here's how you can discern whether somebody is telling you the truth or someone is lying to you. And that is the question that you need to ask when you are confronted with someone is, do you agree? Do you agree that God became man and dwelled on the earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth? Do you believe that? That is the the watershed question that will discern whether someone is telling you the truth or somebody is of error, whether someone is from God or someone is from wherever they're coming from. And that's the, the, the question or the, the, the cutting-edge question that will discern truth from error immediately. Okay? So John chapter 1. Is that really what the Bible teaches? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Well, we already learned right there that He is the Creator of the universe. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light which comes into the world and enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That is a wonderful passage of Scripture that identifies Jesus Christ as the God of the universe. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. In John 8.58, if you want to flip ahead to it, you know, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Many people try to deny that He did. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. He was this. He was that. But the problem is, according to Scripture, Jesus never, ever said anything other than He was the eternal God. John 8.58. He was going through a situation here where he's talking to the Jews about their father Abraham. And he said that, you know, in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and he was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, well, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Were they confused by what he claimed? Not at all. It says, therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They knew what he was saying. It was obvious from their reaction. Not only that, but that's ultimately what they crucified him for. They crucified him for blasphemy, claiming to be God. That was the charge against him. Jesus claimed to be God. And so as we go through this, turn for a moment to um, uh, John 9.22. Here's a situation where there's a blind man. 
In John 9.22, this is what he says. He says, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should what? Confess him to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. You see what the issue was? That anyone, anyone who would agree with Jesus that he was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They would be cast, they would be castrated for it, they would be thrown out, they would be ostracized, they would be eliminated from the, from the synagogue. Why? Because they would confess that he was who he claimed to be. And so as we go through this, anyone is what the Bible's saying here. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is the Christ who has come in flesh is of God. Do you follow this? This is very important. As you go through this, you'll see why it is in a minute. Look at 2 Corinthians for a moment, chapter 11. Because there are a lot of people out there, folks, who are teaching a lot of funny stuff. And we already know that there are going to be many of them, and that's why we should be aware of what's being said. There are many people who are teaching false, a false, false gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You say, well, why, why is this so important? I mean, why, why are you getting so excited about this? Well, the problem that we have is that the person and the work of Christ is the foundation of the Christian faith. Do you understand this? The person and the work of Christ is the foundation of the Christian faith. And if his deity in any way can be reinterpreted or taken out of context in some way and make it contrary to the biblical content, then basically what we end up happening is the whole message of the gospel is radically altered. And it's changed. And it becomes less than what it's supposed to be. So what happens is, in these groups that we come into contact with throughout the world, if they can redefine the historical Jesus of the Bible and make him into something that he is not and less than what the Bible says, and that is he make him into anything less than the eternal God of the universe, if you can make him something less than that, then you can alter everything else that the Christian faith stands for. And therefore, it becomes a very dangerous thing for each one of us. We have to understand what's being said here. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul warns about false teachers. And there's many of them out there who says this, I wish that you'd bear with me in a little foolishness in verse 1, but indeed you're bearing with me. For I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betroth you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, there's a great illustration of people that were holding them accountable to something other than the Word of God. Oh, gee, he's not that eloquent. You know, let's not listen to him. But he said, hey, you know what? I may not be able to speak very well, but I sure have the knowledge, and the knowledge comes from God. So let's not get hung up on my speech uh, patterns or whatever, or because I say yins or y'all. And uh, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. 
Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches, taken wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. He says, why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I do. But what I'm doing, I will continue to do that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And it's no wonder, for even Satan himself as an angel disguises himself as an angel of light. Let me just tell you something. Deception always comes in a very attractive package. Don't think that when you read Genesis 3, Satan came down with a pitchfork and, a, and, you know, and horns and a big tail and was stabbing at Eve saying, eat the fruit, eat the fruit, eat the fruit. There's no stinking way that he did that. You know what I mean? That's somehow we picture these things. Deceitful workers, deception is always packaged in something that seems right. All right? And that's what he's saying. It's no wonder. I mean, after all, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So here's the problem. Why do people listen to false teachers? They just seem so nice. Look, they just seem so nice, and he's so well-dressed. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'll get into this in a minute. It says, Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Okay? Say, well, why is this so important? Well, let me just tell you a few reasons why I think this is so important. And uh, the reason that we listen to people like this is because they're so nice. All right? There's, I mean, it, it's easy to recognize someone who worships Satan and somebody who's in the occult, right? That's not, what, that's not the kind of thing that lures Christians away from the fu- foundations of the Christian faith. That's not the stuff. It's all the rest of the stuff that lures Christians away, and that's what John's warning us about. Beloved, don't believe everything you hear because not everything you hear is going to be true. Well, here's an interesting thing. Why is this so important? How does this apply today? A couple things I jotted down. Here's the church... Or let's here's an, they said there's another Jesus. Okay, how many Jesus are floating around here today? Well, there's the Jesus of Christian Science. All right, Mary Baker Eddy. You know what she writes? This is what she said. This is her Jesus. The Christian who believes in the first commandment is a monotheist. Believes in one God. Thus, he virtually unites with the Jews' belief in one God, and recognizes that Jesus Christ is no God, as Jesus Christ has himself declared, but is the Son of God. That's in Science and Health, page 152. Mrs. Eddy also spelled out that, and, and, that the spiritual Christ was infallible, that Jesus as material manhood was not the Christ. Why? Because he was a man, right? Matthew chapter 16, when Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, That's right. That's a good answer. You got it right on the nose. And the reason you got it right is because my Father who's in heaven revealed it to you. But gee whiz, you know what? It would be silly to believe that Jesus wasn't a material man, that he was a thought or an idea, that he was born in Bethlehem and walked the face of the earth, that he was God in human flesh. The Bible clearly teaches that. It's hard to, to nail spirit to a cross. It's hard for a spirit to shed blood. It's hard for a spirit to raise from the dead. I mean, Jesus was physical in a physical manly form. He was Man and he was God. And that's what the Bible teaches. Anything less than that is heresy. 
And so what Mrs. Eddy does to try to try to reconcile all of her beliefs is that Jesus was a great idea, that he was a principle, that he was a thought, that he was something less than man because she denies the physical reality of the universe. You can't be, God cannot be man because man is fallible and so therefore it couldn't be. But the Bible says not only was he God, was he God and man, but he was also infallible that he knew no sin. And so you go through it, and what she's saying is that he is just a principle, and that's the same thing that John was warning against. Gnosticism was what was being taught in the days of 1 John, and that was that there's no way that God could be man. There's no way God could take on the form of a human being. There's just no way God would ever do that. But that's exactly what the Bible says that he did. How do you know the Spirit of, uh, the Spirit of God? How do you recognize it? Everyone who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. That's the watershed question. Well, okay, let's get the Jesus of Jehovah Witnesses for a second. Jesus of Jehovah Witnesses, Jesus of Christian Science. Here we go. Here's another Jesus for you. According to the theology of the Watchtower, the true scriptures speak of God's Son, the word as, quote, a God. He is a mighty God, but not the almighty God who is Jehovah. In other words, he was the first and direct creation of Jehovah God. He was not God. He was a God. That's the God of the Jehovah Witnesses. That's the God of Charles Taze Russell. And you see what the problem is? Why do people fall for that? Because they accept human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth, and the Bible says just the opposite. Don't listen to people who may think for some reason they're more intelligent than you. They're not. Tested against Scripture, and God's given every one of us the means to be able to identify error. That's the God of Jehovah Witnesses. All right? And uh, now, and this is great, too. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's an interesting fact for you. The Watchtower Announcing Jehovah's Kingdom, it's a publication, publishes 17.8 million copies per month in 106 languages. Awake Magazine, circulation, 15.6 million per month in 34 languages. Is there a problem? Yeah, there's a major problem that's going on around us, and we need to be able to identify the truth. And what about the nicest people of all that I've ever met, and that's the Mormons? They're the nicest people that I've ever met. Got them on my baseball team, got them in my neighborhood. They're always so dressed up. They look so good. They spend a lot of time at church. They do a lot of good things. They teach, you know, prospective brides on how to be good homemakers. You know, they're into sports. They're into hobbies. They're into helping one another. They promote each other's business. If somebody's with a need, they never go without. They pitch in and help. They're the nicest people that I know. They're leading people to hell. I mean, it's just an amazing thing how that works out, but that's the truth of what's going on. They're great people. They're wonderful people, but they're deceitful workers, and it's no wonder because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Hey, don't get sucked in by people that look good on the outside. Let's start laying aside. See how dangerous that is? Don't be looking at impressions or outward expressions of what someone is and lay that aside for a minute and just go and concentrate on the content of what they're saying. But that's but here, the, here's the Jesus of the Mormons. Each of these gods, including Jesus Christ, they believe in pantheism. Each of these gods, including Jesus Christ and his Father being in possession of not merely an organized spirit, but a glorious body of flesh and bones. He goes on to talk about all the different gods and how we can attain godhood. And the problem is there's 30,000 active mission, Mormon missionaries all throughout the world. There's 200,000 new members to the Mormon church every year. That's an amazing fact to me. Their birth rate is 28.1 per thousand compared to 15.9. And BYU has 27,000 students that they boast about every year. And, you know, you go through all this stuff, and it's just amazing to me at how rapidly they got 6 million members in the Mormon church now for a religion that's only 150 years old. That's amazing. How are they doing it? They're doing it by deceit. And you know how they do it? They do it because they suck in stupid Christians who see the word Church of Jesus Christ. Jesus. Oh, they believe the same thing we do. You notice how that works? 
Isn't it amazing how many false religions and false cults want to identify with the historical Jesus in some way, but just redefine his role and who he is? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Hey, you know what? That's not the Jesus that I believe in. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. You say he's a God. He became a God. Well, how can a liar become a God? I asked the kid that was working for me that was the Mormon one day as we were having lunch. I said, man, you know what amazes me about your religion is that you can become a God. He goes, yeah, if you do this, 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 and this, and you live this way, blah, 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 you become a God. I said, well, is Jesus a God? He goes, sure, he's a God. Well, how do he do that? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, let me ask you this. If I was a liar and I deceived people and I didn't tell the truth and I led people astray, uh, would I be good? Oh, no, that wouldn't be right at all. I said, well, what, what, what do you do? How do you reconcile that when Jesus told people he was the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes unto the Father but through him. The only good work that you can ever do is believe on him whom God has sent. How do you reconcile all that? Wouldn't Jesus be a liar? Well, let me go ask my bishop. That's what he said. You know, and it's just like, thanks for a minute, you know. Don't go ask your bishop. He's the one that's messing your head up anyway. You know, why don't you read the Bible and see what it says? That's exactly what happened. And the problem was he believed someone else because what they said. Notice the second thing, too. So, one, we have to confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God in human flesh. And it also said there's a connection. The spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. The connection to the Antichrist is very simple. There's a counterfeit Christ, one who stands alongside the real Jesus. It's kind of like to tell the truth. Will the real Jesus please stand up? I mean, I can just picture this in my mind. That's how sick my mind is sometimes. But, uh, you know, I picture, you know, I picture to tell the truth. I picture the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses in chair number one, the Jesus of the Mormons in chair number two. Well, the Jesus of the Christian science wouldn't be in chair number three. We couldn't see that Jesus because it's, it, it's, you know, it's not material manhood, but I know the idea and the philosophy, the concept, I know he would be there. And then, and then the Jesus of the Bible, the historical Jesus, the one that the Bible teaches, the one that Paul preached, okay? And I could just see him say, will the real Jesus please stand up? And I can see all the rest of these going like this and i can just see man i love it because it would be based on well here's the evidence jesus number four would you please stand up and that's the thing we need to get in, we need to get in touch with the reality of what the bible teaches because there are false jesuses all over the place out here and don't let the buzzwords jesus and god and this and that throw you off but what you need to ask is what jesus do you believe in i'm sorry what jesus is that is that the Jesus of the Bible? Oh, yeah, don't even ask that. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal God who came in human flesh, dwelt on this earth, shed his blood, lived a sinless life as the, as the, the price to pay for our sins? He proved it by raising from the dead that he is God and is seated in the heavenlies right now and he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. Is that the Jesus you believe of? Well, no, something like that then listen to me. Don't acknowledge that type of person. You need to pray for them. You need to be concerned about them. And you need to confront them with the truth. But the way that you do it is you need to know the truth because the truth will set you free. I'm studying for a test. And it's amazing to me how many questions I have. There's, there's a test that has like, there, there's like 500 questions in the law. There's 500 questions in another portion of it. And I'm studying for this test. And you know what they do? It's not even right. They give you multiple choice. There's four answers for every question. All right? You following this? Some of you math majors out there? 500 questions, four answers. 500 questions, four answers. I've learned a little trick. You can add them both together. So there's 1,000 questions, four four answers. So that'd be 4,000 possible answers, right? That'd drive anybody nuts. What's the best way to learn how to identify the wrong answer? Study all the wrong answers? No, the right answer. 
Know the right. I mean, that's what you do. You know the right answer. So you study the right answer. I don't care about all the wrong answers because there's going to be a million of them. And the illustration that God made very real to me was, hey, Chuck, that's the same with understanding what you believe about me. There are many false teachers and prophets which will go out into the world and they're going to believe a lot of stuff. But what you need to believe and need to understand is what the truth is. You follow this? This is very simple. You know what's amazing? I can study for a test like that and know all the right answers and be able to just, as soon as the question goes off, give the right answer and know it. Well, what are the other three possible wrong answers? Who cares? There could be another 30,000 possible wrong answers. They just chose three to try to confuse you on the test. The thing that you need to know is the truth because the truth will set you free and the truth will pass you in this particular case. And so as we go through it, what we need to understand is, folks, listen to me, know the truth. There's nothing dumber to me than a new Christian who wants to know about what everybody else believes. Don't worry about what everybody else believes. And in fact, don't even talk to anybody else until you know what you believe because I see more Christians with their heads screwed upside down and when it rains, they almost drown because they don't know what they believe and the first dumb Jehovah Witness question that comes out of someone's mouth makes them go dizzy and they don't know what's going on. I, I mean, it's amazing to me. I talked to a friend last night at a football game who some, a new Christian recommended a book to her. Said, oh, this book changed my life. Guy's a new Christian. Said, what's the name of the book? The name of the book was Good Morning, Holy Spirit by Benny Hinn. It is heresy from the pit of hell. It's the stupidest thing that anybody ever wrote, and it's on a, a Christian bestseller list by the publication that's publishing it. And she said, do you know anything about it? Said, sure. Said, well, is it good? No. Well, how do you know? Because here, bang, 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 bang conflicts with the Bible, it denies the triunity of God, and besides that, you don't need to know anything else. One thing like that, in a book like that, just throw that thing in the trash and just burn it before somebody else gets a hold of it from you. That's crazy. Know the truth. And the amazing thing is, go back to 1 John 4, I'm going to just give you one more little tip and we'll close. One more thing as far as putting this all together. Verse 4, we'll close on this. Because this is God's safety mechanism for all of His people. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Well, who? The false teachers. The ones who are trying to deceive you. The ones who are lying to you. The ones who are leading you astray. You have overcome them. And you know how you've done it? Because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. You follow that? Do you ever hear somebody speak and the Spirit of God within you just go, that's not right. That is not right. Now, your responsibility... Now, let me just take it the next step because that's God's role and that's what He does for us, okay? Now, what we need to do for ourselves is dig into the Word of God and find out why it's not right. See, God can only work with what we know. He takes Scripture that we've learned and He brings it to our recollection. But He's not going to do everything for us. We need to study the Word, examine the Word daily with great eagerness. So when His Spirit says to our spirit, Chuck, that's not right that we can go to the Word of God and know it. We test, we test the spirits by refusing to accept human authority as the determination of spiritual truth. You follow that? And we test the spirit by reviewing all beliefs of anybody, anywhere, anytime in the person of Jesus Christ. Who is the Jesus that you believe in? Anything less than the eternal God is another Jesus, is another gospel, and is leading people to hell. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be together. We just thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our life as we've come to know you. 
as he helps us to discern what is truth and what is error, as he uses your word, as David said, thy word I've hid in my heart that I should not sin against you. God, I just pray that we would have an eagerness to examine your word on a daily basis that would stop being so lazy and just stop believing everything at face value. But test the spirit to see if things are really from God. God, help us to, uh, to understand the difference, to discern what's right and what's wrong. And more importantly, give us a compassion for people who are being led astray. Not to confront them in an arrogant way, but to confront them in love, to pray for them, to teach them, to show them the truth of your word. Because those who are truly seeking you, you say, will not be disappointed. We just thank you for the opportunity to be involved in the lives of others. We just thank you for the example of Don Richardson, who you took home. It couldn't have been a more ideal situation. How all of us would like to be found sharing your love with others the moment that you call us home. God, we just thank you for that. We just thank you and we ask that uh, we would be more bold in our faith and, and share who you are and what Jesus has done in our lives with as many people as you'll bring in contact with us. And we just thank you that your word is truth and that the truth will set us free. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.